It's in the game. The game. Welcome to a new edition of It's in the Game here on the Cruise Control Podcast. Follow me, Randy Cruz, on Twitter at Randy J. Cruz, R-E-N-D-Y, the letter J-C-R-U-Z. And download, subscribe, rate, review the podcast on both iTunes and SoundCloud.com slash Cruise Control Podcast. As always, I'm joined by my man, Uncle G Stacks. G, what's up, my man? How you doing? Good to be on. Just, just uh, excited about everything that's going on in sports from Major League Baseball to the NBA playoffs to upcoming pro-am season out in the streets. So it's a good time to get connected to the fans. Cool, man. Um, I know we usually talk basketball on the show, but I'll kind of sprinkle in some baseball, some football on the show. Um, the big news coming in today, uh, we're taping this on Tuesday, April 4th, uh, 2017. Tony Romo, going to retire from the NFL. I think that's, you know, all signs lead to him retiring and going into the world of broadcasting, likely CBS and uh, taking Phil Simms spot with Jim Nance on, on, the, on the call for those Sunday games. Just want to get your thoughts on Tony Romo, one, retiring, and two, how do you think he will fit into the world of broadcasting going forward? Well, we just, just want to, you know, before we go anywhere with it, we just want to thank Tony Romo and his family, his agent, and everybody that was involved in his career. Mm-hmm. You know, a, you know, a, a basically a uh, had a pretty fabulous career. He didn't get the ring, had some playoff losses, you know, there were some knocks on him, but I just thought Tony Romo was a likable guy. You know, I thought he right. was the face of the franchise. I thought Jerry Jones lived and died with him. He excited the fan base. You'll always have Romo guys in Texas. And you know, I just think it was time. I just think at 36, he decided he wasn't going to be a starter or be obviously as effective as he wanted to be. And when you speak to people around Tony Romo, I do a lot of reading. When you speak to the people in his inner circle, the agent, you know, the people that have managed his career, uh, they're all behind him going into broadcast. A likable guy. You know, he's a household name, you know, in football. So I think it's, it's a good match for CBS. I think they saw the vision, the intrigue in Romo. And I think he couldn't play at the level that he wanted to perform at. And this is a good decision for everybody, for the NFL, keeping him around, for the networks, and, of course, for Tony Romo so he can continue to feed his family. Yeah, I, I think the the writing was on the wall for him in in Dallas. We weren't sure whether he was going to remain a backup to 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 Dak Prescott and <clears throat> go to a different team like a, like a New York Jets or Houston Texans, Denver Broncos. There were some some people out there that were interested in him, but I guess they did not want to give up any valuable assets for him, uh, knowing that he's coming off an injury and did not. You know, play majority of the year last last season. Played like one series against Philly, I think in week sixteen, week seventeen. So, uh, me me as a fan, I I would have wanted him to see get one more chance as a starter somewhere else, like a Denver, like a Houston, um, somewhere in in the AFC, uh, in in the AFC. And um, but if not, you know, a, a, a lot of a lot of a, Many guys tend to retire from what they do with the NBA and in baseball and whatever, and they go right into the broadcasting. And some do a, a good job, some do a great job. We see it now with A Rod uh, on Fox Sports One. So um, it'll be different for me to now see and hear Romo every weekend uh, calling football games on, on Sunday on CBS with Jim Nance. And also, it'll be different not to hear Phil Sims because he was doing it for, for such a long time. But. Um, 
you know, maybe down the road, Romo could be like that next Troy Aikman on the call for the football games. And it'll be very interesting to see how he does in year one, if this is the route that he, he does uh, intend to choose. But all in all, I, I think a, a pretty good career. The, just the injuries hindered him everywhere he went. And no matter how many times he tried to get back up and the injuries just kept just kept climbing. And like you said, 36, 37 years old, that might be the time for football players to to uh, to retire. And maybe he sees, you know what, I don't want to risk anything with, with my health. And I think going into the world of broadcasting could be could be cool, could be fun. And um, for those who hated seeing Tony Romo play in the field, um, they, they're going to get used to him seeing him on, on TV nowadays, G. I don't know. I, I don't want to go too hard on it. Mm. Um, thing is this. With Tony, oh, and, and I'm going to leave it here. Tony Romo, um, as opposed to Phil Simms, and, I mean, this is just one example I'm using here. Um, I think to be an effective, an analyst, TV guy, you see it at Turner Sports, you kind of see it at ESPN, you have to have a winning resume for people to believe you. For viewers to lock into what you're saying, the reason they listen to Chuck and Kenny and all of them, those guys won. You know, you might have came short on the ring. You were the MVP of the league in Chuck's case, Kenny Smith, two rings, Shaq rings. And I say that to say that I think broadcasting is connected to sports. When you get a job in broadcasting just because you played in the league, the, the, one of the things that should be on your resume is, is a ring. Now, for Tony Romo to go to CBS just because he's a popular guy is cool, but will he stick? I think the jury is out because viewers have never saw him raise the trophy. It will be hard to stick with Romo's critique. Will he critique other quarterbacks? Will he be a quarterback-friendly analyst? Will he overlook the flaws in other quarterbacks because of his own? These are questions that we'll see in time. But I feel as an analyst, because I'm one myself, you have to have a winning resume in order to be effective. And that's the one knock I have on CBS. But maybe it's a maybe it's a Tim Tebow. Hey, maybe they're doing it for Ravens. But I don't know how many people believe in Romo because of his lack of winning clutch games and a win. Well, I, I think, gee, if if that's the case, then a lot of guys who do the NBA on TNT, uh, you know, Weber and Reggie Miller and Barkley, they, they don't have rings, but they, I guess the flip side to that is they, they've been at least to the conference finals. They've been in the NBA finals. They've been on Dream Team. They've been on All-Stars. So they were individual goons. Mm-hmm. I don't see Tony Romo as ever being an individual goon. I want to start knocking the guy, but he was not, to me, I can only really remember one solid one really superlative year that he might have had. I don't have any superlative memories of him in the playoffs. Dallas didn't go anywhere under his watch. It took Ezekiel Elliott to get them to the chip. So who are we? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, yep. uh, yeah. We'll see. So, uh, I, again, we'll see how Romo does. Congrats to him and, and his career that he had with, with, with the Cowboys and be very interested to see what it does with, uh, with CBS. Um, I do want to get to this. Um, you know, our guy, Tracy McGrady, is now going to be in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Him and a few others got that uh, induction earlier last week. 
Uh, McGrady did a 10-hour hour tournament back in 2002, so make that 15 years ago, such a long time. He he went to Hoops in the Sun at, at, at Orchard Beach, and now, you know, with his career and, and his accolades and scoring champions and everything, um, just an overall good guy. And, and again, another guy that got hindered by injuries throughout his career and, 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 and a major what if uh, for him. If he had remained healthy, could he have won a championship or two, or had it had a longer career? Um, just want to get your take on McGrady getting in the Hall of Fame because you know there's people on Twitter out there would love to say that you know why is T Mac a Hall of Famer before this guy? This guy he he did not win a ring. Um, injuries uh, knocked him for you know during his career, and the ultimate question is like they would ask is T Mac a Hall of Famer? To me, I I think he is. Uh, not because I'm just a big fan of him, but I think overall, look at the resume. I know no championships, but a perennial all-star, uh, scoring records, all that, all that good stuff. But to you, is he a Hall of Famer? And what what are your thoughts of, of him getting that induction nod? I don't know, man. It's starting to get it's starting to get weak. Oh, and again, man, like really? I do these. Can you hear me? I can hear you. When we do these shows, I'm always more about the fan. I'm about, you know, the people that, that tune into our podcast, our SoundCloud, and like what we do all together. So I try to be objective. Uh-huh. But Brady, and I can only speak for me, I just don't see how you put a dude in the Hall of Fame that didn't win anything. I, just, I don't understand what the NBA is. And I'm not knocking the Grady. I like the guy, but he stayed injured. Uh, you know, he came up short in a lot of big moments. So then what does that say about Kobe and them that, that, that played with injury? You know, that this is the thing that I have a problem with with the Hall of Fame is that what about the Iversons and them that played through retarded injuries and still came up big? And I'm not saying whatever his injuries were, but he ended up crashing and he made a few comebacks, but he crashed in terms of how he took his body. He was a young kid. He came out of high school. I don't know if his conditioning was the same as it should have been. I'm not knocking him. But injuries derailed a lot of his career. So now you say because he led the league in scoring and never had a chip. Mm-hmm. That he's, he's alongside Jordan and Bird. I mean, what, what is your contribution to the game other than putting them You never was first team all defense. I'm just being an advocate here. You never locked up. You gave out 40 as quickly as somebody gave it to you. Um, I don't know if you're, you know, I don't know if your playoff record, I guess we can look it up. I don't know if your scoring increased. Mm-hmm. Let's just be clear. <laughs> the reason we love Mike and Kobe is because with the money on the line, just like in life, Jordan's, his performance increased. Where like they just did little itty bitty for Mississippi State and you just saw it with Morgan William. When people pay attention to you, and that was my homegirl from the Bronx that locked her up. Little Brianna, just want to throw that in there. Mm. That when people prepare for you, and I tell people this in sports, your average or whatever you do has to change. If you're averaging 28, now you're averaging 26 because people are paying attention to you solely. Jordan and them was different. They don't care how much attention you paid. They did more than what you prepared for. If you said we got to stop this guy from getting 30, Jordan is coming in there getting 36. Those are money players. 
when the money's on the line, you got to show it to me. I'm not putting you in the Hall of Fame. I'm not Mount Rushmore in you when you don't cash out with the money up. I'm not doing that. I'm just, this is a personal opinion for me. I'm not putting you in the Hall of Fame if you don't do what the people did that's in there. And that's my case. I don't put you beside Jordan and Magic and Bird just because you put the ball. They did that and some. And that's what you need to do to be in there. But the NBA is watered down. I guess I don't know. They're looking for guys that idolize. I don't know. And there's no knock on McGrady because I love him. But the Hall of Fame is the Hall of Fame. All right. Now, now just to play uh, devil advocate with you real quick, you told me to or you said out loud, check the numbers. So th- this, these are the numbers that I can provide for you. So, and, and, and you're going to tell me if these numbers warrant um, to be in a Hall of Fame or even warrant you know, a, being a first ballot Hall of Famer. So here we go. McGrady was a seven-time All-Star, a two-time All-NBA first team member, three-time All-NBA second team, two-time All-NBA third team, led the league in scoring twice back-to-back in 03 and 04, was NBA most improved player in 2001. And for a career, he averaged, you want to round it off, 20 points, six rebounds, four assists. Not buying it. It's not enough for me. That's not enough for me. No, because you minus the chip and you minus the big moments. And that's what makes a Hall of Famer. Money okay. time. So, 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 what does that say it's for a guy like Chris Webber who who did not get that's in? What we're doing, see, man, that, that's kind of cheating. We not that we doing McGrady, right? That's what I tell fans. Don't compare. No, it's McGrady that we're talking about, and then it's your standard. He was never the MVP of the league. I don't know if he was rookie of the year. I don't know what stripes you got to have to go in it. And my thing is, what do you got the Hall of Fame for? Why, excuse me, why are you separating people and making people feel like when I go to this Canton, Ohio, or wherever I go, Naismith Hall, when I look at these guys and I see all of their accolades, that I should hold them in forever lore as part of this Mount Rushmore thing. you telling me that Kobe and McGrady is one and the same. This is what you're telling me. You're telling me that Jordan and Kobe belong on the same stage. Bird and Kobe and all of them belong with McGrady. That we all in the same conversation. Yeah, but, but, but McGrady was dominant too in the playoffs. Yeah, but you shouldn't see McGrady with that game winner for game seven. So then what did they do it for? To be in the same class with him? It's just mind-boggling, but that's only me. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'm just, I, I'm just biased because I, I've always been a T Mac fan since he was. Yeah, I know you are in Toronto. But that's what doing, see what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, that's I, not what we're doing. We, <laughs> we going over credentials <laughs> and what it means to be in the Hall of Fame. We're not saying because if you talk about who we like, right. then the Hall of Fame open up another wing. If we just talk about who we like, but we talk about credentials and. I want to hold the NBA accountable. I, you know, I didn't tweet much about it, but I did say one thing. What is the game coming to? It's never to disrespect McGrady. I love him. I love what he stood for. His energy, his youth, him and Vince up there in Toronto, the first cousins. Mm-hmm. He had a great impact on the league for a guy that didn't go to college. That could be the swing vote. It could be. To come in out of dude that never... And I'm not backtracking here. 
But to come out of high school, never go to college like Jordan and them did, and then lead the league in scoring and be a seven-time All-Star, hard to argue against. That I'll give them. My detractors is the MVP and the big moments and the injuries. Those things plague me. I only got one vote. They plague me from putting you in. Now, 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 one more thing on McGrady. Was what, what is it the fact that he is getting you know going in um, in general, or the fact that it's, it's it was his first time on the ballot and he gets in as the first ballot Hall of Famer? Or do you think, hmm? the combination of both. Okay, the fact that they would even have the audacity the first ballot to do without at least making him wait, and then the fact that he comes up short when you put him in that room. See, when you put him amongst Hall of Famers, then it's different. It's like a different matchup. But he has credentials. So I guess it's on the uh, voter. And maybe history would be kinder to him. You know, sometimes you get down the line five, ten years, history is kind of dudes come up shorter, and then his thing would magnify. So maybe it's a time thing. Maybe we'll appreciate him more later. T-Mac. That's right, T Mac. <laughs> um, I mean, real quick, just to let you know who else is headlining the Hall of Fame. Uh, it is T Mac, uh, Bill Self from Kansas, uh, Jerry Krause, Rebecca Lobo. Um, I think so. That's who's headlining the 2017 Hall of Fame class. There you go. Congrats to T Mac, though. <laughs> I mean, what I'm going to say, she, you know, she was flagship when she got here. She was kind of the face of the WNBA, especially the Liberty. Mm-hmm. She was another chick hampered by injuries, but I, I love Rebecca Lobo. I like what she's doing on TV. Mm-hmm. Of course, I support her as a commentator, so it's a good call for the game. Little girls look up to Rebecca, so definitely little, you know, chicks that want to make the league. Also, we have um, Patrick Ewing going to be the new coach for Georgetown. I think it's, uh, it's, it's long overdue, well-deserved. Just being a coach, whether in the NBA or in college, long overdue for Ewing. I know he was trying to get some jobs in the NBA. The Knicks did not hire him for anything. Um, no other NBA team gave him a, a, an opportunity as far as being a head coach. I know he's been uh, an assistant with the, the Charlotte Hornets and the Orlando Magic. Uh, news from the other day that now he will be the new coach for Georgetown. Um, bringing that that buzz back to the Big East. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on Ewing going to Georgetown and what does it mean for the Big East going forward? Well, I mean, it's about time for Pat. We were talking about it today at breakfast. One of my buddies and I was telling him I was happy for him, but in a way I'm kind of really, really, I'm I'm not sad for him, but one of the things that kept Patrick, I'm going to be clear about this, like one of the things, that kept Patrick Young from ever getting an NBA job as a head coach, his lack of being able to deal with the media. You saw it as a player. He's not a media-friendly guy, not an expressive guy, really not the best at articulating himself. Ewan did his talking on the court. It's different when you see the Mark Jackson at the time. And it's because, I'm not saying that they suck up, but they do what you have to do to sell yourself. Mark Jackson does television gigs. He explains himself clearly. He's very articulate where he's trying to go. And those are the guys that usually get the job. Ewan wouldn't do that. And I think it forced his hand to go take a college job. He can still backdoor the NBA. He can still be an NBA coach. He's still a young guy. 
but the opportunity was more him betraying himself than the league. And I think the problem here when you go to Georgetown is that they just got rid of John Thompson three well, with another guy that wasn't media friendly. That's why I don't know where they're going with this. Uh, being a head coach in college requires media accessibility day in and day out, mm-hmm. dealing with kids, their parents, convincing kids to come to Georgetown rather than Duke. And you have to be media friendly to do that. You got your guys, your scouts, but you have to be the face of the tournament, I mean, of the university. And we'll see in the coming months. My bet on Ewan is that he doesn't he doesn't make that transition in terms of being media friendly, and then it'll be on Georgetown to either break break ranks with him or keep him anyway because of his story past. But and not being media friendly in college is never going to help. So I want to see if he does something about that. Other than that, I'm happy for him. I mean, yeah, me too. And I, I agree with the whole media thing. And uh, again. Um you know, growing up and seeing the, the the Knicks play, wasn't a big fan of the Knicks back in the day. You know me. Um, but, again, the, when the, the the media would try to interview him after a game, he just wasn't as receptive and just wouldn't, you know, answer questions or just walk out or whatever. And, and again, we're talking Ewing back in, back in the, the New York days till now. As you said and as you mentioned, it kind of hindered him for getting – a, a head coaching job, and I think he, he he's done a decent, uh, a good job as an assistant coach with Charlotte and Orlando. Um, are you? But are you surprised that um, that Georgetown, his alma mater, would decide to give him a head coaching job before any job with the New York Knicks? Yeah, but again, like I said, the Knicks have a stingy media policy. You know, Dolan and them play that secrecy game like no other team in the league. Where they really muzzle the media. Well, like uh, one of the guys was saying on first take, there is no media policy at the Garden. It's Dolan being protected by Mills and Jackson, and that's it. He brought them in there so that he don't have to deal with the media. So the media policy there would have never worked with Ewan because he's not accessible anyway. He doesn't talk to the media. He doesn't express himself. So I don't think that's a good thing for selling the Knicks. You know, even Hornacek, as limited as he is, he does have the Jeff Hornacek experience on TV. Uh, he has to do his little media policy stuff. So he already understands it. I don't know if Ewan is going to get it. I don't know if the media hoverage is the same in the NCAA as it is in the league. i got to look into it, but I'm quite sure there's a media policy per athletic director that you meet with these people consistently to sell the university. And that's the area where I can't see. First of all, Centers notoriously don't make good coaches. So I don't know where Georgetown is. I don't know if it's to sell tickets. I don't know if they own one. I don't know if it's political upstairs, but he better be able to coach and he better be able to recruit. So this is a job he wanted. I mean, yeah, thinking about it, I'm I'm trying to remember the last time a big man was a head coach and actually did a decent to good to great job, whether it's college, whether it's in the NBA. I know, yeah. Yeah, I know Bill Cartwright tried it. I know Herb Williams tried it. They don't it. listen to big men. <laughs> People don't. It was like you was a big, come on, you was in the paint. Get out of here. They don't want to hear it at, this, at that level. They don't respect big men as thinkers. That's all I'm saying. And, and, you and, and, yeah, and that's why... 
Yeah, and that's why you see a lot of point guards who who make that guards transition. Guards will always get the job over a big man because they think more, allegedly. No, you're right, and that's why they tend to they tend to do a lot better. Avery Johnson, Jason Kidd, uh, Mark, the- Mark Jackson, they all all have uh, because what the game. Yeah, because they 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 were coaches not only they were coaches on the court too. And that's the difference between a point guard and, and the big man. Exactly. So but a shout to Patio. I mean he suffered, he waited a long time. I'm quite sure he's gonna be well compensated. Not like he needs it, but he'll be taken care of. Georgetown got a strong tradition there and I'm I'm wishing him luck. Just like Mullen went back and he's being baptized. Uh, the Georgetown program is in need of some good recruiting. They need another big man. They need another Lonzo Ewan to Kembe. So it's going to be important for him to be the face of that recruitment, for him to be able to get in there and say, look, we got a storied history here, and this is why your kid needs to come in. He can lay it out. He can show that he was a Hall of Famer, a dream teamer coming out of that program. And with Alonzo and all them other dudes backing him up, Harrington, so many Georgetown bigs, and then Iverson, it's a good program to sell. John Thompson, you can sell him a towel, but you got to sell it. And I don't know if he's capable of doing that. Yeah, and I know, I know, not one person can can really re- revitalize a whole conference. But with him going to Georgetown, Chris Mullen now with with St. John's, does it kind of? You know, begin to to revitalize the Big East Conference because we and you both know the Big East. The Big East has not been the same in in, in quite some time. Teams have left. Syracuse ain't there no more. UConn's not there no more. Um, you have all these Butlers and, and Xavier's in the conference now. It, it, it's not the same. Um, but do you think with you and going to Georgetown, they can kind of change that. And what is your overall perspective on the Big East not really being the Big East no more? Well, I mean, you said it. It's not the Big East. It's not the story rivalries. It's not Tate against Syracuse. It's not UConn and Villanova. It's not Georgetown, St. John's. So at that point, um, the fan reaction is different. Of course, the rabid fan base of the 70s and the 80s, they feel betrayed. You hear about it all the time on on TV and in the social media about the realignment of the Big East, which was so storied and so golden back in the U.N. Mullen days and, the, you know, just the big time playing at the Garden, the NIT. The, the whole thing was about the Big East being so ferocious. So now that they didn't deluded it, so to speak, it's on guys like Ewan and Mullen. That's one of the reasons they're able to go back after having a story to be career to go back and try to recruit some of that rabid fan base, some of that alumni, some of that money that left when people realigned all of these conferences. And I think Ewan's got to be at the forefront of it. He's got a kid playing out here in the world, so he's got to be a good, good example there at Georgetown. Um, like I said, they don't take the big men. You know, so that's one of the things that stopped him in the NBA, and we'll see if he can overcome that in um, in college basketball. But I'm wishing him luck. He's black. He's on the hook. He's going to need all the luck in the world. I'm quite sure there's a quick hook there for him. And uh, the littlest thing that go off, they'll can him. So I just think he needs to be ready for that. Cutthroat world in college sports. 
So now you and go to Georgetown. Before that, we have you know you're you're a Laker fan. We have Magic Johnson, uh, who who is now running the L.A. Lakers. Um, no, no, no bus. No, uh, Mitch Kupchak. I know Jeannie's still there. So, kind of get. Uh, I, I do want to get your thoughts on Magic. You know, running the show now, like he did with the Showtime Lakers back in the day. Uh, Jeannie's brother is not there no more. Mitch Kupchak ain't there no more. Maybe Kobe can get involved here and there. Uh, Rob Palenka is, is now the new GM for the Lakers. Just your your whole thoughts on this brand new transition with Magic Johnson coming back to the fold. No, I got two words for Jeannie Bush. That's <laughs> good witch. No, but she did the only thing possible at this point with the franchise. You know, that's a flagship franchise. It's one of the marketable franchises, the premier marketable franchise in sports. And I think she just read it. You know, we're in the age of social media now. We're in the age of technology. So information is traded quicker. So people are quicker to give you their opinion. You're quicker to really, really either absorb it or reject it. And I think that's just advice going good. I think she said, look, we can't handle this as a family. The, the franchise is dormant. Kobe's gone. Right. And what we want to do is start losing money. So what do we do? We go out and we get two for one. We get a big ticket. We get a big name. We get a storied pass. And then we hand him the keys. And to me, it's, it's the magic playing with house money. After you see what he did with the Lakers, after you see what he did with Starbucks, you see what he did with Magic Johnson, one of the most successful crossover athlete to businessmen we'll ever see. And I just think it makes sense. You can't lose when you say, hey, we're supporting magic. First of all, you know you're going to be safe financially. I think that's a bust decision. From the father that died, God bless his soul, that loved magic like a son, to the sons who couldn't resist this opportunity all the way to Jeannie, they knew Magic was the one guy that would be a consensus to come back home. And I'm quite sure he uh, understands, he got to understand the task ahead, the draft process. He brought in a GM guy that's not exactly a GM. The guy that he brought in to be GM is really a scout. So, well, that's where he made his name. We looked the guy up and business guy, which shows you where magic is going. He's talking salary cap, draft pick, free agency. See, he's going that way. I think his model will be one like the old Laker tradition, uh, more under early bus, showtime Laker, uh, with a heavy emphasis on keeping core guys together, having the big ticket guy or two. And I think, the attempt to return to the old glory days of the Lakers. And that's what magic is there for. Not only the figurehead, but he did it with my fans. We're working on bringing you what we do. So it's a good call for Jeannie. She stepped out the way. Jim's out the way. Mitch is out the way. Not that they were a problem, but things fell apart under their watch. And now they get the rejuvenization, revitalization, excuse me, from one of the greats of the past. Just good math. Now, but on you, the business. yeah, uh, but uh, again, th- this is kind of twofold because this can go with the Lakers and, and, and New York. Um, you know, when a team needs something new, a new GM, a new president, a new whatever, new ca- uh, head coach, whatever, are you a fan of that organization depending or going back 
to what happened in the past to kind of help them out. Like for example, LA went went back, you know, went to Magic, the Knicks. When they they, they needed a president and GM, they go they go to Phil Jackson. Um, when the Lakers needed a head coach years ago, they went to Byron Scott. Are you a fan of you know these teams going back to the past to kind of help them going forward in the future? I think it's like any other business, man. I think you keep things in the house. I think you keep things in a family tree. Why go outside of your comfort? Why would you go outside of the Laker family if you're trying to continue the Laker tradition? Why would you go get Hornacek? You know, why would you go get a Phoenix guy, a Chicago guy, so to speak, when you have Laker guys available that will automatically excite automatically indebted to fan base. And this is really what sports becomes. It's, it's more business than anything on the court. What are we doing about our seat, PSLs, corporate sales, NBA Cares program? You know, what are we doing in terms of revenue? And I think the easiest thing to do is sell your pass. You see the Yankees do a great job, the Cowboys, all major sports teams have a great way of reminding you what they gave the fans. And that's what they're doing here. Yeah. That's what I mean, I, I think it's I think it's cool to an extent, but you know, some teams who who don't look to the past. For example, when Boston needed a head coach, they're not getting Bird, McHale, Parrish, they they got Brad Stevens from from college. Somebody Un- unorthodox, brand new, outside the box, and now he has this team, you know, trying to compete for a championship. When you know Brooklyn or Milwaukee needed a head coach, they went and got Jason Kidd, first time ever coaching. Same with Golden State, they they fired Mark Jackson, and who they got Steve Kerr, somebody who never coached a day in his life. So I guess sometimes I I do get what you're saying, you know, keep it in house with the family, the Byron Scotts, the Magics, the Phil Jacksons, you know, with the Knicks, you know, with with Larry Johnson and Allen Houston. That's great, but if you want to expand and do do greater things in the future, you might need somebody who's who's younger and you know take a chance on somebody who 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 can think outside the box and, and present you somebody different, some, something different going forward. Well, not to um. Not to contest you, <laughs> but the two examples, right, that you use, the Boston Celtics, right, with Brad Stevens, that's courtesy of Danny Ainge. That's courtesy of one of their own. That's uh-huh. courtesy of the fan base being locked into where ownership is. True. The, it, it's courtesy of saying, well, look, we're still traditionally giving you Celtic green when you buy these tickets because it's the Celtic mentality that continues to prevail and that's why they're succeeding because the GM is Celtic Green, high he's all back, he's car, he's he's everything that that that, that old Boston garden, he's turning the heat off. He's a part of the fighting, the Jojo English, the you know, the Jojo White, he's, he's part of it. And that's a rabid fan base. You never go away. People will sit around in the Boston bars forever and talk about Danny Ainge and Jerry Seeksting and that's what sells in sports. The connection to the glory. Nobody does it better than the Yankees. Oh, yeah, definitely not. Yeah, the Yankees are just <laughs> a whole different... <laughs> so the connecting you to glory. 
Monument Park, Babe Ruth, Jersey signing, Bobblehead. They just, they hit you in the head all time of day. They destroy you with factual presence of the glory. Bring it out, Yogi, God bless the dead, Whitey, Scott Myers, there's too much. They know how to spell the past. And continue, and of course, they win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 speaking of my Knicks, and I know I know you hate it every time I bring them up because you just don't like the Knicks. Um, what what's what's intriguing, what's important, is that you know when the season is over, like officially when this their season is done, but when their season is officially over, Melo is gonna have this big exit meeting with Phil Jackson and kind of you know go over the future or his future. Uh, with the Knicks and, and and the Knicks future in general, um, most people can say he's going to tell Phil that he wants to stay, regardless. Or he might tell Phil, "Listen, uh, like what he's been saying recently, I see the I see I see the writing on the wall, and you know, however we can interpret interpretate that is, is is whatever. But he sees the writing on the wall. Maybe he sees his future with the Knicks coming to an end. They're going to have that meeting at the end of the season." Uh, we don't know what, what's going to be said, but in your opinion, should it be that time for Melo to say, you know what, I'm going to put my pride to the side and not, you know, let this Phil Jackson stuff bother me, and I'm going to tell him to waive my no trade call to to try to trade me to uh, a championship contender team next year, or do you think Melo's do do you think Melo should write out his contract with the Knicks and say whatever Phil Jackson's doing? It, it, that's what he does. I'm here to play basketball. Do you think he should waive the no trade clause or stick it out here in New York? I mean, it's a choice of his. I mean, it, it depends on where his heart is at and what he sees as in, in the sunset of his career. 33, often injured, never had a chip, never smelled one, one-dimensional, you don't lock up. So what do you want at this point? You got your money. You got a great family. Shout to Lala, got a great son. So we talking in reality here. After 14 years, what do you want out of the league now? It's not money. Of course, you love the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're in the twilight of it. Nobody cashes out on their first chip at 33. Not the greats. So that didn't happen for you. Great score. Probably unstoppable in legacy terms. But not a leader, not a winner, and basically, uh, contract is at the point of backfiring now. As you've seen this year, I hate to brag, Derek Rose made the super super team comment. I'm on air. You can go pull it up. I'm on <laughs> in that retarded that there was a problem with him mentally. That the weed he was smoking had something in it, and. I proved to be right. Any preseason hype, any thought of him, Joe Kim and Carmelo competing for a playoff spot was never in my mind. I know that the game of basketball starts before tip-off. It starts with training and conditioning and commitment upstairs and scouting and assistant GM and a unit, a team of people that want to win and care, owner on down, knowledgeable basketball people involved. See it over there in San Antonio. So I knew the recipe was there for what happened this year. 
You know, the only problem I have with the Knicks is that they didn't lose more. You know, I felt like sports <laughs> before. So I watched every game mm-hmm. because I need to be prophetic in this. So everything that I said came true. And now we have to win. We have to rinse now with the Knicks. See, this is the rinse. This is the part that I wanted to see. How do you now swallow your pride and say I betrayed the fans in New York? How do you be man enough, owner enough, New York enough to say, hey, this is a rabid fan base when you win. Go to the tunnel. Go to Willis Reed coming out of that tunnel. Go to Clyde with 36-19 and 19 in the Game 7. It is the greatest town in the world. Ask Eli, ask A-Rod, ask anybody that's won here in this town. There is nothing like that ring in New York. Nothing. So what are you doing here with the fans? You invested a billion dollars in refurbishing the garden. It's a big party. I love the fan cam. I love the steakhouse. I like the Franks. It's expensive. But it's a good- <laughs> It's a great show. You can go in there and let's say if you really don't even like basketball, still come out of there with a great time. There's just so much energy. There's so much technology at work. You know, there's so much uh, fun in the environment. Celebrity row, you know, passionate basketball fans from the 60s and 60s and 50s. So there's a great crowd there every night. And the thing I'm trying to tell Dolan is it can get better. It takes money. to I don't mean throwing money away like you did with Joe Kim and Carmelo and Derek, who finally made me look like a genius last night with that last injury, which I told people. Not only wasn't he never going to be a top 10 guard again, but even the flashes that you saw, they were basically like reality TV. You know, it's just not the same Derek Rose that won the MVP. And you can ask Adidas about that. Two different guys. So he wrote his own check the other day. I'm not hating because I love Derek. But we're talking basketball here. You're not talking feelings. We're talking 94 by 50 for the money. Mm-hmm. New York Knicks don't do it. Yeah, I, I but, you know, you, you do got to admit Derek Rose was the best the best Nick point guard we've had since, what, Marbury, right? Yeah, he was the most explosive that we've had since Marbury, but he wasn't the most efficient. So who was? You look at his his assist totals. You look at his point differential on the floor. You look at his plus minus. Mm -hmm. And he's almost a waste. When you match him up with top 10 guards, it's a disadvantage. Of course, he gets his 17-18. It's almost a guaranteed loss against any big-time guard, and he comes out short end of the stick. Those 25s and 26 that he gets night in sometimes, they're never against Chris and Kyrie. They're never against John Wall. You know, that's why the league is getting younger, because you can't lose a step right now in the NBA. These kids are faster, they're better, they're bigger, they're stronger, they're conditioned better, and... uh you got to stay, you know, right now they're chipping away. They're chirping at Kyrie. As young as he is, as dominant, as great as he is with the yo-yo and the big shot and all the chip, they're coming for him every night. 
scrappy kids off the bench, D-League kids, dudes in the NBA. It's a night-in, night-out fight. And Derek wasn't built for that. And, and and like you mentioned, he did he did get that uh that injury, the torn meniscus, out for the remainder of the season. Um, Probably ages. <laughs> and um, again, he he has one year. You know, this is the final year of his contract, so the Knicks don't really have to, or don't have to at all, bring him back once that contract comes up in July. Yeah, so I think the number one priority for the Knicks. In the draft is to get hopefully a top three pick, you know. Let, let's all hope for that. I know your Lakers are going to be in that mix as well. Um, getting a point guard, I think that's the that that's the the number one priority. It did not work out with Derrick Rose to an extent. It did not work out with 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 Brandon Jennings. He's now with with Washington. Um, it it. It didn't work out with Joe Kim Noah. He got hurt really uh, very early in in the year. But I think you look at those guards coming out of college, and if we can get one of those guards, um, Monk, Ball, somebody that can run the offense, I think that'll be great for the Knicks. Not saying they're gonna make the playoffs next year, but I think the point guard position with the Knicks has has been something that I, has been vacant for for quite some time, and and, and the two guard as well. So we we when you kind of rewind, you know, like I mentioned, Marbury. Then you know, then you had your Ray Feltons, you had your um, you know, your Chris Duhans. It just it just didn't sound like these should be the point guards for the New York Knicks. And the same thing with the two guards. So if they can get some help in that backcourt of the draft, uh, I think that that should be their first priority. Okay. Wish him luck. <laughs> And the same thing with the Lakers. Like the Lakers, they're talking like if they get a, a first, second, or third pick, they might take a guard. And you got you got D'Angelo Russell already. So I don't know how you're gonna manage that. Uh, they're looking at D, uh, D. Russell as a two guard, and you already have Clarkson. So if you guys take another guard, uh, that's gonna be a little situation you got to worry about, right? Well, we don't worry because of the Lakers' addition. Oh, man. <laughs> it's never been known because we continue to show the fans by bringing in magic and making these moves and going younger and even conceding the draft. We'll be right back. We're just in the post-Kobe era. That's all we are. You know, it's hard to replace a giant. Mm-hmm. That's the way it is. The Chicago Bulls went the same way. So did the Celtics when Bird left. So it's hard to be competitive in a league like that when you lose your key piece. But I think the Lakers are in the right direction. I think they went the right way in terms of management, in terms of executive uh, administration, going with the magic man, who's not only a good businessman, but he knows the game. He wasn't a good coach. They're usually not the great. <laughs> yeah. I respect Jordan and Kobe for not even trying. Bird got out there. Bird probably did the best when he went back home. He got Indiana in the playoffs. He had jail and he had Mark. In the finals, the day, yeah. he, he probably did the best out of the greats. Chuck didn't try. Isaiah was a disaster. So it it's not for the faint of heart. It's, it's not just because of the suits and the Amartis. Uh, Rowley, probably the best transitional ever that we'll see in terms of a guy that was just uh, not even really a superstar player, big player and then turned into a great coach, and then a greater, even greater GM. 
So, you know, his thing with Riley, I think Riley's a prototype. You don't get those kind of guys for once a century. And uh, Mickey Harrison got lucky down there in Miami. And I always say this about Riley. I, I think that what he tried to do with LeBron in terms of keeping him home, which he tried to sell him this, the heck with the media and the legacy. The heck with going back home. They already spurned you. And it's your job to win everywhere else. But LeBron, being loyal, said no. And his emotions was, was with his home. And he went home and won. But I always thought Riley felt, look, these guys spurned you. And you don't owe them anything. To Ben Gilbert to the world. But with Barney, it was bigger. And I want to say this before we close, Randy. Especially to the kids that listen to us. Um, I was never a big Barney guy. But what he does on the court is, of course, extraordinary, second and none. But what he does off the court, social issues, standing up for, you know, the downtrodden, for the kids that really don't have a voice, for him to take his celebrity, his power, and his influence and put it over there and shine the light on the ignorance and the police killing and even us killing each other and what we do in our poorest communities. I thought it was brave, and it's one of the reasons I fell in love with the guy. He opened up the LeBron James Foundation out in Akron and built a school uh, where his mother ran around and got high, where so much of his childhood was taunted. And in, in front of the school, he put up invest, and he put up that education trumps poverty. And that's in the hashtag. And I just want our kids to know that that's what we represent up at Orchard Beach and Hoops in the Sun. That's what... Our founder, Pop Cruz, that's what he represented. That's one of the reasons that you and Joe and Ken, all of us up at Ocean Beach, and even these podcasts, that's why we're alive and doing what we do, is because we have that same vision, that, that kids come first, that we can make a change, that we can help one kid somewhere have a say in the next world. So I'm proud to be part of that, and I just wanted to shout Bronny out for being that kind of athlete, especially in this day and age, and saying, look, the people that don't have a voice can look for me to speak up. So that's what's up. Yeah, I respect that. Uh, two more things before I let you go. Uh, you mentioned Eli earlier, so I couldn't, you know, it, I, I remiss to ask you, what did you make of uh, your, your guy B. Marshall now being with the Giants and no more Victor Cruz with the Giants? What do you think about that? Victor Cruz, I want kids to see this too. Well, really everybody. Victor Cruz is a big example of... Uh, a light flaming out. He's a good guy. Again, another guy derailed by injury. Another guy that I think could have been better had he maybe took care of, better care of himself. He might have got off track by the celebrity. I don't know. But he was a good dude. He was electric. He had the South in New York. He had his Lynn Sanity moment. You know, he had his 15 minutes of fame. So I think, uh, I think in the end, he was a good dude. And he's going to be missed, you know. He's going to be missed. And I just think for Victor Cruz, I think it should show the modern athletes. It should show everyone, you know. It should show them that sports is it is it's tender. It's a blessing. It's a moment in life. It's not the everyday world. It's a dream world. And it can get away from you quick. And when you're out there, you get a chance in any professional sport to stay humble continue to work hard like it's the first day of practice, like you're trying to play, play for a spot. And, and above all, you just remember that you're blessed, that so many people, so many people dream of that moment that you have. 
You just got to take it as far as you can. So Victor Cruz, a good example. A guy that had a hell of a hell of a shot five years ago. You see today he's gone. So it just tells us, you know, it's a fleeting moment. And you got you to gotta really, really work hard to stay. My last one to you, G. Um, you know, everybody's been making a big deal about who was the MVP for the NBA, Russell, um, James Harden, LeBron. Uh, Westbrook is having a, 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 a crazy career, uh, the whole triple-double stuff, and I think he's one game away from tying the big O's triple-double record for most triple-doubles in one year. But I want to ask you, if and when he breaks that record, and I know OKC is already in the playoffs, um, did, would you, if you had a vote, would you cast that vote for him for being the MVP with him with his team being in the playoffs and him averaging a triple double for the for, for the for the year and breaking Big O's record? Well, you know I'm not a Westbrook guy either, but you know, like Jay Z said, numbers don't lie, and men and women do, and what he's been able to do this year on the basketball court, night in night out, without another big ticket next to him without a name brand roster and to go out every night and stuff that stat sheet like that and sweat like that for that organization to put his check is enough to give him the MVP. And I love Harden. I think Harden is better than him. I like Harden better in a lot of ways. I think Bronny's always an MVP. But what Russell, it goes back to Oscar Robinson. What he's been able to do, one of the reasons Oscar Robinson is Mount Rushmore is because of the triple-double. It's one of the reasons we adore him. They say, hey, man, the triple-double is going. Nobody does that no more. Mm. And then somebody still does it. And Russell Wilson is the most valuable player in the National Basketball Association, even even without Uncle G Stacks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I think you meant Russell Westbrook, not not Russell Wilson, G. Come on. Russell Westbrook. (laughs) Russell Westbrook. He is. I'm ahead of myself. Russell Westbrook is the most valuable player of the NBA. Uh, it turns my stomach. I don't like his game. You know, I don't like a lot of things that he does on the court in terms of leadership. I'm really, really still salted about the way they blew that lead and get, you know, in, in that playoff with him and Durant. And then, you know, I just I fault him for that not being the reason that they didn't go further. So that's personal. Well, he proved he can win without Kev. Kev proved he can get away from him and go somewhere else and win. We even, as they say in sports, and let the best man go to furthest. And there you have it. Uh, Uncle G Stacks, uh, thank you for coming on the show. We, uh, we greatly appreciate it every thank, single time you do it. Thank you for having me. Call me back, man. Please. And I know we'll have you back on once the NBA playoff matchups get uh, you know official. So we'll talk about the NBA playoffs and, and more stuff. And baseball coming up, too. So I know your Yankees are, are 0-1 right now. So I, I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I'll leave it at that, man. Tanaka, Tanaka, Tanaka got the butterflies, man. That's all. He'll settle down. He had a marvelous spring. He got behind in his count. He couldn't control his pitches. He couldn't get ahead of any one hitter. And I think Gary Sanchez saw that. It was a great catcher. I think he saw that that Tanaka was frustrated. They got him out of there. He took the pounding, and I'm looking for him to bounce back big. Go Yankees. Uncle G Stacks, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. I'll see you soon. All right, take it easy.